Hello and welcome to another episode of Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Chris Grayton. Today's subject is Russia as a crossroads of the global Hajj. Uh, it's one of a couple episodes we've had dealing with certain aspects of the global Hajj. We had, a, we had an episode with Chris Lowe about questions of hydropolitics and disease regarding the Hajj uh, in the Arabian Peninsula you know, vis-a-vis the Ottoman government. And we've also talked to Lale John about connections between Central Asia and the Ottoman Empire. Uh, indeed, one of those major connections is the Hajj, which brought tens of thousands of Muslims from certain parts of Central Asia each year uh, to the Ottoman Empire uh, as pilgrims. And uh, our guest today, Eileen Kane, she's an associate professor of history at Connecticut College in New London, where we're recording today, uh, has authored a new book entitled Russian Hajj, Empire and the Pilgrimage to Mecca that deals with that very subject as well as other subjects connecting the Russian Empire uh, to the Middle East. Uh, Professor Kane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting to have you on and and talk about this new book, which is going to create um, a new bridge between the field of uh, uh, sort of Ottoman history and uh, Russian history, indeed two very much interconnected histories that aren't always studied in connection. Maybe I'll start um, by mentioning a point that you uh, bring up in the introduction to your new book from Cornell University Press. You say that uh, there was actually, at one point in the Russian Empire, more Muslims than were in the Ottoman Empire, or just as many Muslims in the Russian Empire as in the Ottoman Empire. And this really raises an interesting point, that we don't often think of the Russian Empire as an empire presiding over uh, a Muslim populace. Would you would you open up for us that long relationship between uh, the Russian Empire and, uh, and Muslim subjects? Sure. Um, so by the early 20th century, the estimates are there were 20 million Muslims in the Russian Empire and about 14 million in the Ottoman Empire. And this makes sense if we think about the fact that Russia up until the early 1900s has been steadily expanding and the Ottoman Empire has been shrinking pretty steadily. So it's lost territories Mm -hmm. um, in the Balkans. It's lost territories in the Caucasus um, to Russia, um, as has Persia. So Russia's getting bigger, the Ottoman Empire is getting smaller, and a lot of Russia's expansion is at Ottoman and Persian expense. um, And then its its last conquest in the in the late nineteenth century into Central Asia. So as it's expanding over the nineteenth century, it's taking in um, historically it's it's taking over historically mu- predominantly Muslim lands and taking in millions of of Muslim subjects. So it's getting more and more. Yeah, and and this this relationship, which actually goes back to centuries old. Um, sort of uh, borderlands uh, issues between the Ottoman Empire and the Russian Empire and between the Russian Empire and other uh, polities, uh, as you said, brings in a large number of Muslim subjects who indeed become legal subjects of the Russian Empire uh, uh, by the middle of the 19th century and into the 20th century. So on one hand, uh, in your work, we have this context of uh, Russian uh, expansion and incorporation of uh, Muslim subjects. And on the other hand, we have the context of this rapid uh, change in uh, transportation uh, and infrastructure that's going on within the Russian Empire, and indeed many empires of the world, with regard to uh, the spread of rail uh, and the spread of steam travel, which allows for a sort of new hotch. So, you know, in the, you, you refer to Russia, the Russian Empire as a crossroads of the global hodge, 
But Russia is pretty far from the center of where the Hajj is. So how do we in- imagine or how does, how does transportation, the changes in transportation cause us to reimagine, you know, what a crossroads is for the Hajj and, and how does the Russian Empire come into the picture? I should say in the 19th century, uh, by the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, most Muslims who are going to Mecca are colonial subjects. So it's not just from the Russian Empire, but also because of uh, global European imperialism, mm-hmm. you have uh, all of the European empires are involved uh, to a large extent in the Hajj, and 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 most Muslims showing up in Mecca, going on the Hajj, are, are colonial subjects. So, and by colonial subjects, you mean subjects of the British, British, of the French. Dutch, French, mm-hmm. and and Russian empires. Mm-hmm. Um, so Russia's role in the Hajj begins actually as early as the the 16th century. Um, when Russia conquers uh, Kazan and Astrakhan in um, along the Volga River, these are former Mongol Khanates, mm-hmm. um, and Astrakhan is a, um, a a hub or a little stop along uh, land routes from Central Asia to the Black Sea, um, or you know through the Caucasus routes that Muslims took um, for trade, but also for the Hajj. So as Russia is expanding into Muslim lands, it's not just um, taking over new lands, absorbing new populations. It's also establishing, uh, you know, laying claim to places through which very old land routes sure, yeah. cut. Um, and as I said, these are used for, for, for different reasons, for trade, but also as major routes um, that then connect to uh, caravan routes through uh, Damascus and Baghdad um, to get to Mecca. So mm-hmm. Russia's expanding, but also, you know, the big part of the story is that uh, with modernization, by which I mean um, the creation of rail networks and the creation of of steamship uh, lines from from the black sea you get ma- as everywhere in the world you also get this in russia you get mass possibilities for mass mobility mm-hmm. and you get for the first time railroads reaching into central asia railroads mm-hmm. reaching into the caucasus parts of the empire where you have large muslim populations and also you have populations then coming in from persia from um afghan lands from um ching ruled um, lands across Russia's official borders. They come into Muslims yeah. come into the Russian Empire to use these railroads to get to Mecca. So it has this with the, you know, we've had a lot written about railroad construction in the Russian Empire, and particularly into Central Asia and the Caucasus. The story is they build these railroads. Why? Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a typical uh, colonial. It's a classic yeah. colonial story, right? Build the railroads so that we can get troops in quickly if we need them to put down rebellions mm-hmm. and also to get. Uh, raw materials out. Yeah. Well, Muslims in these regions also put these railroads to their own yeah. uses. And this is not intended or, or anticipated, of course, but this is what happens. Right. And uh, by building that rail, uh, as you said, the Russian Empire actually becomes this hub for Muslims living in areas around the Russian Empire as well that are seeking to get to a quicker, to maybe steamships or other you know, modes of transport that will convey them across into the Ottoman Empire yes. and into Mecca. So one of the unanticipated consequences is that the, the railroads are are sort of all leading to connecting to the Black Sea. Odessa yeah. in the imperial period is Russia's um, largest port. Uh, most of the trade from the empire is going through uh, that port. And so 
you know, I, I would be be careful to say that it's it's not simply that Russia built these railroads and Muslims suddenly abandoned their old their old roots. The roots are yeah. always shifting. Um, so some continue to take the old old um, land routes. And in fact, when Russia starts to involve itself in the Hajj or try to put limits on Muslims going on the Hajj, they you know Muslims have the option of reverting back to the land routes. But these railroads become really by the late nineteenth century the main um, the main route that Muslims from Central Asia, from Central Russia, mm-hmm. and parts of uh, countries and empires across Russia's borders are, are using to get to Mecca. And this also means that the Black Sea becomes suddenly sure. a center of the Hajj, um, yeah. which leads to all sorts of interesting problems and questions yeah. for Russia. That's one of the things we talked about, actually, in our podcast with Lale John, about how uh, the, the, the change of the route... Um, causes all sorts of things to happen because people aren't just going to Mecca, right? They're stopping in different places and actually making places like Istanbul or, or other uh, parts of the, you know, the Ottoman Empire and the areas surrounding um, uh, their final destination part of that uh, pilgrimage process, part of their, their journey. Yes. So this is really interesting because today, of course, um, most Muslims who make the Hajj go by airplane. So it's kind of a, it's a much more direct trip. Mm-hmm. In the 19th century and before, um, it was much more, in, in the early 20th century, it was much more a, a, a kind of multi-stop sure, uh, yeah. itinerary. And this is another reason why the, the railroads uh, fill up during Hajj season with with Muslim pilgrims. Why many Muslims choose to take uh, what is actually a, a longer. It ends up being faster. I mean, you can get from yeah. um, Tashkent to Odessa in eight and a half days, which is extraordinary, um, extraordinarily fast. Um, but because many Muslims want to stop in Istanbul, because there are tombs and shrines there, they've read about these places, um, and they want to stop there on the way, in the same way that many want to stop in Jerusalem or in Damascus. Um, so, so Odessa becomes Sevastopol also to some extent, and and Batumi, but mainly Odessa becomes a, a hub through which uh, Muslim pilgrims are passing. At you know, large numbers of them, of course, because the Hajj is is, is highly. Um, you know, it happens during a certain time of the year. Yeah. It's large numbers of people going through the city at a certain point in, during the year, and then it, it kind of disappears. It's an annual thing that that happens. But um, yeah, so Odessa, in part because Istanbul is such a desirable place to stop mm-hmm. along the way for pilgrims. All right, welcome back to Autumn History Podcast. Chris Grayton here talking with Professor Eileen Kane about her uh, new book uh, from Cornell University Press, Russian Hajj. So, Professor Kane, we've been talking about how some of the accidents of Russian expansion and the accidents of modernization uh, create this new uh, uh, engagement between the Russian Empire and Hajj traffic uh, by virtue of the fact that Russia had more Muslim subjects on one hand uh, and was responsible for the railways and uh, different steam routes that uh, conveyed people uh, to their sites of pilgrimage. But I want to ask a question about... uh, how this uh, transformation also changed the relationship between uh, the Russian Empire, the Russian government, and Islam as such, or or how 
um, this was intertwined with that relationship. Uh, for our listeners who are thinking about it from an, an Ottoman perspective, uh, what we know about the Russian Empire is that um, during various points in the 19th century, Russia is expanding into Muslim, predominantly Muslim territory. Uh, people are fleeing. People are being expelled from villages. There's a tremendous upheaval, and it, it looks like a pretty hostile relationship. Russia fights multiple wars with the Ottoman Empire over the course of the 19th century, and its allies uh, in the Balkans as well are involved in various conflicts. The story you're telling in your book is, is, is a much different story than that picture. It's one of uh, uh, Russia being, becoming very much part of uh, the life of global Muslims uh, in, in a variety of ways. Uh, what do you think this says to us about what's going on uh, in the Russian Empire vis-a-vis the question of Islam during this time? So as um, many of the listeners will know the the Hajj is one of the five pillars of Islam, and this doesn't mean that that all Muslims perform it, but it's it's something required. This makes it different mm-hmm. from other pilgrimages. So yeah. if you can afford to do it, um, you should do it. You should do it. Um, so it's a tricky thing for Russia to to deal with because they're. It, on the one hand, there, there are concerns, especially as it becomes a mass phenomenon. By, mm-hmm. I say by, the, by the 1880s, it's suddenly you, it's becoming a mass phenomenon because of just because of mass mobility in general. You mm-hmm. have you know the Russian state is dealing with mass uh, migration of peasants after the um, uh, abolition of serfdom, which coincides with the mm-hmm. building of railroads during this period of, of so-called modernization. Um, so there are people moving around, mass emigration from mm-hmm. the empire, people moving around at an unprecedented rate, not, of course, not just in Russia, but, but, but everywhere in the yeah, world. Um, so the, the Hajj sort of emerges as this, this issue that um, uh, many Russian officials who show up in the book say, this is, this is terrible. Um, cholera is, of course, a concern. Mm-hmm. There's in, in 1865, there's a global cholera outbreak that makes all of the European powers very scared and makes them introduce new sanitary measures um, because cholera, of course, is a terrible, um, awful um, deadly disease, and and it's not really clear how how it spreads. And um, in, from the 1865 epidemic, I think it's something like 200,000 people die in major cities around the world. So this is very very scary. Yeah. Um, and it's associated with with the Hajj, um, um, rightly or wrongly. Um, and um, there's also the, this question, this will be familiar to us um, today, this idea that if you have Muslims moving from Russia to the Ottoman Empire and coming back, God knows what kinds of ideas they're bringing back in with them. Yeah, sure. God knows what they've been exposed to. So there's this fear that also, you know, this very sort of classic um, uh, fear about, you know, add to that that Mecca and Medina are closed to non-Muslims. So there's this sense that there's something very mm-hmm. conspiratorial um, and scary and anti-imperial right. going on in, in Mecca. So, you, you know, of course, and th- this is sort of the, the story that's been told about, um, and this is one of the things I, I am arguing in the book, is we have the story that all of the European powers are getting involved in the Hajj in the n- late 19th century because yeah. they're afraid of it. Um, and mm. the book is, is really tracing um, the, the Russia's construction of, of what I call an infrastructure yeah. to support the Hajj. And what I, what I want to say, what I say in the book is that this isn't, yes, surveillance is part of it, and yes, disease, controlling the spread of disease, is part of it, but they also realize, first of all, there's nothing they can do to stop the Hajj, whether they want to or not, okay. whether certain officials want to or not. That's that's not possible. Um, f- 
because they don't have the capacity to stop it and also because officially Russia tolerates Islam. They have an official policy of toleration, um, which means that if you're Muslim, you're free to practice your religion. Um, Mm -hmm. It doesn't, you know, my my colleague um, Bob Cruz has written a wonderful book um, for Prophet and Tsar where he, he, you know, lays out very clearly that this doesn't just mean, you know, go practice any any way that you want, but the government is going to be very involved in sort of sponsoring a certain kind of Islam, Mm -hmm. co-opting people into positions of power and, and so on, but uh, you know the Hajj and the Hajj has, is is worrisome in in um, you know the uh, the Turners in their in their article um, famous article about about pilgrimage as a liminoid phenomenon mm-hmm. make this make this point um, that the you know pilgrimage of any kind is worrisome to state authorities anywhere not just Russia and yeah. the Hajj because okay. it's spontaneous because there's no obvious leadership because it involves. Um, uh, people aren't being led by religious officials, so the Hajj, you know, causes all kinds of worries. But what I what I want to say in the book um, is is that they also see opportunities mm-hmm. in, okay. in the Hajj. So they work with it and they say, okay, let's build this infrastructure um, because this will also um, allow us to go into parts of the world where we don't really have um, any other right. reason for being, but yeah. we can compete with the other imperial powers, for okay. example, in the Hejaz. So, so on one hand, we have the idea that uh, sort of uh, orchestrating the Hajj is part of Russia's obligation whether they are willing or not to rule over muslim subjects because this is a part of the life of muslim subjects and uh yes they will inevitably have to become part of this it's what happens with the the british empire and whatnot but but you also see this as a moment where the russian empire says we can capitalize on this to expand our geopolitical uh situation i don't know how different this is from Britain and France are doing, but Britain already has a lot of power in the Arabian Peninsula uh, by the right. by the time of the 19th century in various parts of the Middle East. Indeed, in the Ottoman Empire itself, Britain has quite a bit of clout. Uh, that's just the opposite is the case for Russia. So how do how do they use? Uh, how do you see this as a strategic um, uh, implement for for Russian uh, global policy? So I guess two things come to mind in, in response to this. So one is that they, they actually have officials saying, we don't have any other reason to be in the Arabian Peninsula, and there are opportunities opening up there for trade, and here's an opportunity. Mm. So uh, yes, maybe it would be great if we could stop the Hajj because we're worried about cholera and because we're worried about the loyalties of our Muslim subjects. And um, But let's also see that there's, there's a good side to this. We need passenger traffic on our railroads and steamships. And uh, so this is a way of generating revenues for okay, for the yeah, government, and and also uh, yeah, we don't have trade interest in say Baghdad in the way that the British do, um, and we don't have any other reason to be in the Arabian Peninsula except for the Hajj. So this is useful. So they're so they're sort of making the best of of the situation, but they're they're also um, saying there are, there are real benefits to um, this this network that we now are part of, you know, by virtue of um, expanding into Muslim lands and acquiring Muslim populations, we are now integrated into Hajj networks. Russia mm-hmm. is involved in the Hajj. Russia is a center of, of global Hajj traffic. So let's let's try to figure out how um, 
to make the most of this and and sort of channel it in ways that 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 work for us and and by the way they're doing this also with with peasant migration mm. we can't stop peasant migration within the empire so let's try to channel let's try to move it in certain ways that that will benefit us most so um you know by the very end of the 19th century you have um Tsar Alexander II saying, "Let's let's establish a government monopoly over the Hajj." Mm, um, and by that, um, and the, the Ministry of Internal Affairs is very involved in this. The Ministry of, of Foreign Affairs involved in this, um, as well as as other um, ministries together working on this. And, and by by organizing, what they really mean is streamlining it along a particular route. And mm. this is going to be the railroad route and the route through the Black Sea. So it'll be easier to control and supervise. Yes, but it also means getting passengers onto railroads, getting them onto steamships, and, and justifying um, our, our established opening a consulate in Jeddah, which they do yeah. in the 1890s, um, and then in, in other places nearby. And so in that instance, uh, Rus- the Russian Empire is actually using or utilizing the Hajj in a way that's very similar to, it, to the way that the Ottoman Empire uh, utilized the Hajj throughout the early modern period to increase its um, uh, political place within the the broader uh, Islamic world, right? As as governors of uh, uh, Mecca and Medina, the Ottoman Empire uh, took it a, upon itself to secure all these earlier forms of Hajj infrastructure over land routes uh, and facilitate the movement of Muslims throughout the world. You see Russia here competing with their um, Ottoman counterparts by developing their own kind of Hajj infrastructure. Yes, and uh, in the emerging literature that we have on the colonial era Hajj, Russia is usually compared to the British and the Dutch and the French, and those are good comparisons to make, but that, that is a point that I make in the book, that they, they are looking also to the Ottomans and what they did in terms of mm. organizing and sponsoring the Hajj, um, and they have some of the same goals in mind. I mean, Soraya Faroki argued this in her book, that yes, it's, it's, it's required of them as... Um, um, Muslim rulers and and because the Ottomans now control the you know holy cities of, of Mecca and Medina they're supposed to sponsor the Hajj but it also gives them a reason to station troops in um, the Arab provinces uh, and the other thing I would say is that there are differences between important differences between say the Russian Empire and the British the Dutch or the French and one of the big parts of the story that I tell is that the for the British and the Dutch and the French, this is going on in their colonies apart yeah. from the metropole. Yeah. So Russia as a land-based empire, um, it's in some ways trickier for Russia, its involvement in the Hajj, because Russia is officially an Orthodox state. And what does this mean? This means that the Orthodox Church has a privileged position in the Russian Empire. The czars are always Orthodox. The you know the royal family is is Orthodox Christian. There's a close relationship between and, and the the there's a close relationship between the the um, ruling dynasty and the Orthodox Church, and they also rely a lot on the Orthodox Church as an institution that mm-hmm. supports. Um, so you don't want to mess with that relationship. Yeah. Um, and so they, they face this problem of how are we going to s- support the Hajj, which is a sacred Muslim ritual, um, and act as a protector of Muslim pilgrims without upsetting 
Orthodox officials in the Orthodox Church and without, you know, this is, this is, and it, and, and also, you know, one of the things that happens when they streamline the traffic through Odessa, you have Muslim and Orthodox pilgrims together boarding ships. Right, and Christian and they, pilgrimages. Yes. So these are going on, these are at the same time. And what happens is Muslims start to realize that as they get off the ships in Odessa, they're being shepherded to a disinfection facility because Muslims and the Hajj are associated mm. with cholera while they say, you know, the, the Orthodox pilgrims just stroll into Odessa and go wherever they want. So um, by this is one of the unintended consequences of streamlining the traffic through Odessa is you bring these two pilgrimages and together and it, it appears and it's true that, that Russia is in some ways yeah. discriminating against Muslim pilgrims in a way it's not against Orthodox pilgrims. That's very fascinating. Okay, welcome back to Ottoman History Podcast. Chris Grayton here talking with Professor Eileen Kane about her new book, Russian Hajj. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that for those who are interested in the subject, we do have a bibliography reading list on our website, ottomanhistorypodcast.com, where you can also get access to other episodes relevant to today's discussion, whether about the global place of the Ottomans in the world of the 19th and 20th century, or about, indeed, subjects related to the Hajj and connections between... um, the Ottoman Empire and uh, Muslim communities elsewhere in the world. So, you know, our listeners have a lot to look forward to in in checking out your new book, uh, Professor Kane. But for the remainder of our discussion, I want to go behind the scenes a little as historians and sort of ask you, you know, how you came upon the topic, how you how you chose to see it in this way, and just how how you study the Russian the subject of the the Russian Hajj, as you call it. Uh, you know, what are your sources? How do you how do you uh, examine uh, this topic? So, writing the history of mobility in general is difficult when when you're using state sources mm-hmm. um, for a number of reasons um, that I can get into. David Ludden has written a, a wonderful article about this um, yeah. about how mobility tends to be buried in um, state archives because state officials tend to be rooted right. in one place they like mo- they like immobility and so mobility can look like as he says sort of comings and goings yeah. and sort of um as as an aberration mm-hmm. so and and um you know i should say that that it, you know it sounds kind of hokey but i did accidentally come upon this topic because mm-hmm. I went into the archives um, for my dissertation research to write about Russian Orthodox pilgrimage to mm-hmm. Jerusalem. There's a literature on this. This yeah. is familiar to people. In fact, when we um, saw uh, recently when Russia um, became involved in the war in Syria, mm-hmm. there was an op-ed piece about, well, this yeah. is, here's the story. Russia has this connection to the Middle East through its through Eastern Orthodoxy and the Eastern Orthodox yeah. churches. This mm-hmm. is the classic story. So I was very much, you know, now, in that mindset, that is what the historiography tells us. I went to the archives, and I kept finding, um, this is in the um, foreign policy archives in uh, Moscow, in the Beirut consular archives. Russia opened yeah. a, a Beirut consulate in 1839. Um, 
uh, you know, officially to support the Orthodox churches there. And I started to find these cases involving Muslim pilgrims and yeah. going to Mecca. Okay. And I got kind of stuck on that. And then it was time to leave and I had to go back and write my dissertation. So I did that. But then I went back after writing the dissertation, started looking and finding more and more stuff and found that this was a, in, in many ways a bigger story. Um, and it was one that was hard to uncover because um, I think for a couple of reasons. One is that the czarist regime, as I mentioned, was a little, it was, they didn't want to come out publicly and say, we are the, we are the patrons of the Hajj. Um, we yeah. are supporting the Hajj because they had, they, they, they had this, this issue with it's an Orthodox right. regime and a special relationship with the Orthodox church. So this wasn't the, this wasn't part of their official imperial no. image. Like there was no sort of straw man to go for there. It was very much a more low key. It was low key. I would say they were even kind of secretive about it. Mm. Um, it. They were uncomfortable about it and yet they were they were interested in it and it was something they felt they had to do. They couldn't, they, you couldn't not get involved in the Hajj by the early 20th century. So they're doing it but it's there's this secrecy and then um, of course the Imperial Archives were cataloged by Soviet era archivists. So um, religion in some ways can be hard mm. to uncover unless it's, you know, if you, if you, you know, and there were no institutions created around this. So you had like, they, they were involved also in, in Orthodox pilgrimage. They created the Imperial Orthodox Palestine Society. So you can find those archives because that institution existed. Mm. But so this was really kind of um, uncovering bits and pieces. And, you know, I picked up the thread in Moscow and then realized that I had to go to Tbilisi and then Odessa mm -hmm. appeared um, as, as an important place. And I, I really wanted to write, you know, as I, you know, to go back to Ludden's argument about how mobility can just sort of, you only get a, a snapshot of it yeah. if you look at one place. So I really wanted this book to be about, um, you know, sort of the circular motion of pilgrims leaving the empire, going abroad, and then coming back. Mm -hmm. And um, so that required also, there were other issues with the Jeddah archives, um, consular archives are lost, apparently. The so, Russian consular archives. Right, so Russia opened a consulate in Jeddah for the Hajj. There was mm -hmm. no other reason but yeah. to, to help its Hajj pilgrims there in 1890, and those are missing. Um, so I had to use Ottoman Mm -hmm. archival documents to reconstruct that history. So I would find some correspondence yeah. between the Russian consulate, um, you know, there. Yes, to study this mobility, you kind of have to follow the route to the look at the archival collections for all the different places uh, along the way. As you said, dipping into the Ottoman archives, probably British archives as well to understand what's going on with these pilgrims at each stage. Yes, and that's, a, I would say, a contribution of the book is is mapping the routes that mm -hmm. pilgrims took for the first time. And I did that not just with state records, but also Hajj memoirs were, were important. Mm -hmm. yeah, so sure. um, I used several Hajj memoirs, which were turned out to be wonderful geographic sources because these were you know written most of them in, in old Tatar some of them were published in, in newspapers um, and they were intended um, not so much to entertain but to give pilgrims a sense of, of how to get from the yeah. Russian Empire to to Mecca so very very you know boring in a way sort of detailed yeah. here you go here then you go here and it's this many chakarum between here and there but what it did was gave me very specific geographic information that I then made into these maps that are included mm -hmm. in the book yeah those those are great sources I mean uh, one of our colleagues at Autumn History Podcast Nir Shafir has worked a lot on those early modern Hajj collections and you, you see just uh, how much the Hajj is really about stopping in a lot of different places and they do really map out in detail the potential you know it's, it's like one of these travel guides right like a, a lonely planet 
for for pilgrims in the early modern period. Yes, they're very sort of practical mm-hmm. um, and avoid this person in Yanbu because he sells rotten meat mm-hmm. and beware of the mullah in, in Odessa because he'll fleece you and he's working for the steamship company. Mm-hmm. So, yes, like a, in many ways, like a modern modern day travel guide, as I say, very rich geographical sources that, mm-hmm. that can be used more, I think, um, uh, to give us a sense of networks of mm-hmm. connections between Rush, the Russian Empire and other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in putting together the story um, of and, and reconstructing the, the roots, one of the, the things that I started to realize was that the, the view, I mean, this is very much a book, it's a book about the Russian Empire, but the action takes place inside the empire and outside, mm-hmm. I would say. And um, Russia... Looked looks very different when you look at it through through yeah. the Hajj, and I thought that was really really interesting. So people, for example, appear out of place. The way we tend to um, study um, Muslims in the Russian Empire up until now is is by taking a regional approach. So yeah. suddenly you see all these these Muslims in Odessa. What are they doing there? Or Kharkov. This will, this is a place that will mm-hmm. for. Russian and Soviet historians will conjure images of, uh, you know, it's a very industrial um, Ukrainian city, but it was a major hub along routes that that pilgrims Mm -hmm. took to because the railroads went through through Kharkov. So people appear out of place. Russia, again, like through the Hajj, what is what, you know, Russia just looked so different. uh, there are connections between regions that we don't think of as being connected. So officials in Tashkent and Odessa are in, are in yeah. daily or you know weekly correspondence with one another during Hajj season. Um, Russia is part of the history of the Middle East. We see right. this is something we 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 really you know the, the history of uh, you know these area studies boundaries are still so um hard in many ways yeah. and you know you know a big part of it is is language it's hard to study russia in relation yeah. to the middle east because you need both languages so it's uncommon um, yeah increasingly common maybe but uncommon to have russian and arabic and ottoman for example I only know a few people who have it. But. Yeah, there seems to be a new generation coming up, which is great. Um, but so uh, it just seemed to, you know, it became clear to me that that there was this, you know, go piecing together yeah. these documents, this infrastructure came into view, and then it, the the implications of it seemed to be mm-hmm. beyond just, you know, there was this this hudge, and they built this mm-hmm. infrastructure, but it... I, my hope is, um, you know, people will read the book, will see Russia in, in, in a different way. Well, for me, uh, one of the things that's fascinating about this work and, and the historiographical trend it represents is that uh, a view of empire that's informed by maybe uh, the perspectives of social history, of, of cultural history, that looks at what's important to the subjects of the empire rather than to the political interests of the empire, uh, that view of empire, of course, looks radically different. And that's exactly what we see in your work on the Hajj, thinking about what uh, was important to the Muslim subjects rather than to the uh, their their Russian rulers opens up uh, a brand new topic that tells us something really different about empire and really can uh, inform our thinking about, as you said, connections between uh, these world regions in a time of intense transformation in, in both uh, politics, but also uh, technology, transportation, and mobility. So I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today and giving us a little preview of Russian Hajj uh, from uh, Cornell University Press. It's been my pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much. 
I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in. Remind them to check out our website, ottomanhistorypodcast.com, for the bibliography, um, the link to uh, Professor Eileen Kane's uh, new book, uh, and links to other episodes of relevance. And I also want to invite you all who are listening to join us on Facebook, where we've got a discussion going with over 20,000 uh, Ottoman History Podcast followers. It's a place to leave your comments and questions and even suggestions uh, for future episodes. I want to invite you all to join us next time in our further installments of Ottoman History Podcast. Thank you one last time for listening, and until then, take care. <laughs> Koydun fincanı, aşkım var ki fincanı.